0: And so we were just inundated with all of this BS that, that goes wrong in the, in the, in the life cycle of the transaction. And, and so you could take that as like demoralizing and like, wow, we're never going to solve all these problems. This is a bad idea, but here's the thing we never heard. We never heard. I don't need this. We never saw apathy. We never saw like the meh, like they were pissed off. It didn't work. They were pissed off at the, at the idea of I should just be able to push a button and get this chore done. Like it, the vision didn't, didn't fulfill itself. And, and so we took that as, as feedback that, okay, we need to keep going because we've got 10 people here that want to use this product. If we can just solve, we can't solve all 10,000 problems, but we can solve the hundred that occur every time and just make it better and better and better and get 10 to a hundred to a thousand to 10,000.
1: Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast where myself and Kyle have awesome conversations with fascinating people, whether they're internet entrepreneurs, whether they're investors, or just a thought leader in a fascinating subject. We cover it all on this show. Today is no different. We had Brian Clayton, who is the founder and CEO of Your Green Pal, a on-demand lawn care service with 300,000 users. This conversation covers Brian's story from cutting lawns in high school to building and selling an eight-figure lawn care business to starting from scratch again to create your Green Pal. We cover all of the challenges and lessons learned along the way and a whole lot more. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation, even though I say that every single time. So I'm going to switch over to it now. Have a good time. Brian, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. We appreciate you, know, you coming here today. Lewis and Kyle, great to be here. Thanks for having me on Absolutely. your show. Tell us kind of the context for how you started cutting lawns so early in life. Like, Why did you need to do that, choose to do that, come up with that as the idea to do, kind of let's just start there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me on your show. So today I'm CEO, co-founder of a company called GreenPal, which is like the Uber for lawn mowing. Uh, it's an app that connects homeowners and lawn care services. Green Pal is like a 10 year overnight success, uh, been at it for almost a decade. 300,000 people using the app now uh, nationwide, in the United States. Uh, started off really humbly. First few years of starting GreenPal were really tough, but now, now it's going well. It's growing, and and uh, we've got a good marketplace going. But before GreenPal, I actually had a landscaping business. I started mowing yards in high school as a way to make extra cash. I was actually forced into entrepreneurship by my father. He said, "Get off your ass. I've got a, I got a job for you. You're going to go mow the neighbor's yard." Luckily, he did that because uh, that stuck with me, and I made like $20 mowing my first yard. This was back in the mid-'90s, so that was a lot of money back then. And uh, I remember the first thing I did was I passed out a bunch of door hangers all over the neighborhood after that, and I had a dozen customers at the end of that first summer. and, and something just clicked with me, I thought, well, you know, this could – be my lane business ownership could be the the thing that i kind of dedicate my life to i had that feeling very very early in, in life and, and i never looked back i never had a job never worked for anybody i stuck with that lawn mowing business all through high school all through college and then over a 15 year period of time built up a, a large landscaping business with something around 150 employees got it over 10 million a year in revenue and then in 2013 the business was acquired by a nationwide company uh in the landscaping industry and so after that i took some time off kind of reflected on what i wanted to do with the rest of my life and and i thought well i'm wired to want to be in the game i'm wired to want to be a part of a project something that's growing something that's that's conquering new territory and and i wanted to invent something new this time and and i thought well you know, an app needs to exist for what I just spent 15 years doing. An app should exist for this industry that I know so well. And so I recruited two co-founders, and and it was kind of naivete as an asset. We didn't really know how difficult it was going to be. We didn't know how challenging it was going to be. But but luckily we, we didn't because we never would have started if we had known. But we uh, we got in there and, and hacked together the, ver- the first version and, that was a disaster. We just kept iterating, getting it better and better and better. And now here we are close to 300,000 people using this app nationwide
1: to get their lawn mowed. There's a a lot of pieces to that story we'll want to zoom in on. Kind of just starting still towards the beginning. Where did you, you know, at what point in the lawn mowing journey were you outsourcing this? So was that like in high school, that first summer, you already had people helping with this first 12 lawns? Was it like halfway through college, you got busy with classes? Like at, at what point did you Was it not just you? And what was that process like?
0: Yeah. Anytime a small business is hiring its first employee, its first helper, even on a part-time basis, that's one of the most difficult parts of the journey because you're effectively like doubling your business in one swoop. And so that was a tough thing. I had to kind of figure out on my own. I was, I was running all over town mowing yards and making good money. But at the end of the day, I couldn't get to all of the work. I couldn't get to all of the leads coming to me. I could I didn't have time for estimating. I didn't have time to do bookkeeping properly. And so I thought, well, I need help with this. And so the first thing I did was just started throwing bodies at the problem. And um, I would hire two people and have them help me through my route. And then I, at the at the end of the day, I would do like some back of the envelope math and realize, wow, I should have just. I've been better off just doing these by myself because now I'm spending all this money on labor and I'm not. You know, so that the economics weren't working. So I got a real good lesson early on in, in terms of unit economics. And what we were actually selling was was labor hours. And I had to figure out, okay, if I put three people in one truck and we go service a property, can I get back the, the cost per hour that I want to bill my customers? And in most cases, it was no. The market wouldn't support it. And so actually, it was the type of business that was – oriented around one person in a truck going and serving some, a property. but the time you put three in there, you're losing money. And so I had to learn that early on and learn the dynamics of, okay, this is how you run efficiently. This is how you count, measure, and track labor hours, because that's actually what you're selling. And I was like 18 years old having to balance the unit economics of a lawn mowing business, but it was a good lesson. It was a really good lesson in, in terms of business fundamentals 101 and, and things that apply to pretty much every business. And uh, by the time I was 22, I think I had 10, 10 employees. I was, able, it was basically, this like rough rough math duplication. And and it sounds simple, but it if you don't manage it and stay on top of it, you can wake up one day and not be able to make payroll, which which I've I've been there several times, and it sucks.
2: Yeah. At what point did you go from uh, cutting residential houses to uh, moving into more commercial buildings? Because I, I think I read on your Wikipedia that you guys service Target and a few other big name like anchor tenant stores like that.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the the natural like dream or progression for anybody in in a residential service business. Like, like if, even if you like clean homes or do roofing or or do lawn maintenance, like I did you kind of want to transition into the commercial space because that's where the scale is. Mm-hmm. It, it isn't necessarily more profitable because, because it's more competitive in the commercial space, but that's where the scale is. So, you know, you can, you can run all over town and do these $40, $50 stops all day and they add up and you can run a little good little business, but it's hard to scale that. Whereas you can, you can do an apartment complex and, and the annual contract, $75,000. Mm-hmm. The the margins might be slimmer, but um but it's 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 better it's easier to scale uh, you know, a landscaping business around those types of contracts, and so that's what we eventually did. It took five years, but I had to uh kind of like the realization of of understanding that we were in the business of selling labor hours, I then had to come to the realization that we weren't a landscaping company, we were a sales organization, and that at the core we had to have a flywheel and we had to have a repeatable sales process. That drove the business forward and, and cut our way into the competitive uh, marketplace for, for the commercial contracts. And so that basically boiled down to me running it uh, while running operations, while literally mowing yards. And, and so I would dedicate at first one day a week to run a sales process. So X number of, of cold calls, X number of cold emails, X number of, of, of cold visits, uh, in the front lobby, and then trying to set up x number of appointments to to pitch a contract and then trying to close a certain percentage of those it took me a long time to kind of figure out that that progression of that sales process but but and then and then also dedicate the time to to run it but but over several years, I was able to do that, hone that and then delegate that to 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 other team members, okay. It's like okay, now you help me with the prospecting, set me up to go deliver the the pitch and close. Okay. All right. Now, now you, I got somebody that's, that's pitching and closing. Now I need somebody to do the account management and so on. And like, so it took took five, six years. But uh, once I came to the, real, the realization that we weren't in the landscaping business, we were in this. We were a sales organization. That's when we were able to scale beyond like five hundred k to a million, two million, three million, all the way up to ten million in revenue.
2: I think it's really interesting how, um, you know, starting such a a business so young that you can start that I could start today, sort of like if I went out with a mower and, and found a yard to mow, I could, you know, begin building and the way that you did it is each building block at a time, right? It's like, okay, well it's needs based. It's like, I need one more person. I need one, I need another person. Now I need accounting, I need bookkeeping and it's it's really interesting how you had to learn every piece of that in order to be successful how do you think that learning those things in a action oriented way affected your process of building uh green pal
0: yeah you know i kind of got business 101 out of the way with my first company and so i was able to learn how to start a business scale a scale revenue scale out a team things like recruitment uh, recruiting people, training people, retaining good people—how uh, to how to figure out what our value proposition was and how we're delighting customers—all of these kind of lessons I had learned had the scars for. So when, when I was able to start GreenPal, I was almost almost able to start on second or third base. So that's helpful, and that's that's a piece of advice that I give a lot of entrepreneurs: is they'll have this big like audacious business idea and it's maybe it's a 10 million dollar idea and they're like yeah I want to start this thing and I need like a million or 5 million or 10 million dollars and I can't raise any capital so therefore I can't do this and my advice is like okay yeah that's cool but let's maybe let's start a more approachable business let's start a service based business or a smaller type of operation that you can get a win under your belt get get 500k in revenue going and learn the basics of business get a track record and then, maybe get some of your own cash, maybe get a hundred grand of your own money to put put towards this next thing, and then you can then you have much better uh, foundation to raise raise capital. So that's one piece of advice. The next piece of advice is to your original question like in in business, you're doing three things at once at all times. You're working in the business, so in my case, you know my first company, literally mowing yards. so you're working in the business you're you're making the operations happen, you're making sure the trains are running on time. The second thing you're doing is you're working on the business. So it's the systems, processes, routines, standard operating procedures, the sales operation that I mentioned. That's an example of working on the business, developing that sales, uh, uh, that, that sales kind of workflow. Uh, it's a system. It's a process. So I'm working on the business. And then the third thing that you're doing is you're working on yourself. So you're reading books. You're listening to podcasts like this one. You're going to YouTube University. You're attending conferences. If you can't afford to go to the conference, guess what? Most of the time they put it on YouTube. And so you're you're literally like carving out time during the week to work on yourself. So you're doing all three things, in the business, on the business, and on yourself. And reality is it's like in the early days, Monday through Friday might might be in the business type tasks. I'm literally just trying to hold it together um, I'm trying to make sure that that customers are taken care of, and then Saturday might be on the business. I'm I'm looking at my bookkeeping processes. I'm looking at, I'm looking at my sales processes. I'm looking at my employee recruitment plan or my employee training plan, whatever you're focusing on one piece of the business, and you're making that process better. And then Sunday, you're 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 setting out five or six or seven hours to just flat out read the books you need to be reading, listening to podcasts, uh, watching stuff on YouTube. And a lot of times, like the working on yourself piece is like block and tackling for whatever stage of the game that you're in. So let's say, you know, you you are at like level one of the video game and you're trying to hire your first employee. Well, then maybe you pick up a book on basic leadership, basic management. Maybe you pick up the E-Myth by Michael Gerber and and read that a couple of times. Uh, And then maybe like you scale and, you know, you're at the level of the game where I'm at. You know, we're doing multiple eight figures a year in revenue. We have 40-something people. We're trying to get to $100 million a year in revenue. So I'm reading books from guys who have, who have gotten to nine figures and, who, and, and beyond, and I'm trying to learn, like, what they're doing. And then the other thing is, like, you don't want to, like, get too far ahead of your skis and listen to interviews, people that are doing stuff that doesn't relate to what you're doing. Like, like one of my f- uh, favorite CEOs is Brian Chesky, the, the CEO of uh, Airbnb. Listening to, like, the strategy and what Airbnb is doing, he might as well be on Pluto compared to what I'm doing. So it's like I can't learn, like, from what, what Brian Chesky is doing. But I can learn from somebody who is who is at, like, 50 million a year trying to get to 100. So that's who I seek out. That's that's the materials that I read. That's the blog posts that I read. So in the business, on the business, on yourself, that's a heuristic
1: that's worked for me 20 years doing this. Yeah, I think that's a great formula. Let's Let's transition now to talking about, Green Pal, the starting story there, the challenges, kind of the, this, is the roadmap from the zero to, you know, today's challenges.
0: Yeah. So the idea was, well, I think authenticity can be a competitive advantage when starting a new startup. So a lot of times, you know, one thing I didn't realize was that when you're starting a, a tech company, most of the time you're starting something brand new from scratch that does not yet exist. And that is vastly different than running a traditional business, and and so I, here I am. I, I had this eight-figure landscaping business, hundred-plus employees, ninety crews going out every day. It was a big operation, and I sold it. And that doesn't happen very often in in that industry. And so here I am, thinking that I know everything there is to know about about business in general. And then and then so I I thought, well, how how hard can a software company be? And boy, I didn't know what I didn't know there is a big difference between running a traditional business and then inventing something brand new with a green pal, this, this app that connects homeowners and lawn care services, it didn't exist. Nobody was doing anything like it as so we kind of had it figured out as we, as we went. And that was a lot more challenging than, than my first business. Although I thought it was going to be easier. It was actually 10 times harder. And so that's one thing that I can't emphasize enough people like, Oh, I have this idea for this app and I'll just build it and they will come. And it's like, no, you build it, they will not come. You have to figure out ways you're gonna get people to try your new product, give you feedback about everywhere it sucks, and then how you're gonna work on that, that feedback and how you're gonna put that feedback to use and and it's a really a different game. It's a totally different game than than the first one I played some books that helped me kind of figure that out were uh, The Lean Startup by Eric Ries, great book, and the predecessor to that book is a book called The Startup Owner's Manual by an author named Steve Blank. That it was kind of his mentor. Those two books are really good about how you invent a brand new tech product from scratch and get people to use it and grow. So that was those were the challenges that we faced was just was just trying to like figure out where we took the product, where we took the platform, listening to user feedback, getting people to use it. No matter how small the numbers were, just trying to grow them. You know, we only had like 20 customers at the end of our first year, but we just kept trying to grow that number to 100 and 1,000, 10,000, and so on. So keeping the faith, growing the numbers, and and working
1: on the things that mattered and ignoring the things that didn't. What were some of the signs kind of that helped you persevere through the challenges? Like signs that, you know, even though X and Y and Z is not happening right away, like – there's evidence that this is worth doing. There's a real problem here. This is worth pursuing, even though it's difficult. Like, what were some of the things that gave you encouragement and you're still on the right track, even if things weren't going, you know, immediately successful? Yeah,
0: you look for those little glimmers uh, because the last thing you want to do is spend a decade or five years or two years on a bad idea that just isn't working. And it could be a bad idea for several reasons. could be too early. You know, too early is the same as being wrong. It could be too late. There could be other people who have already figured out what you're trying to do. Or it just could be a bad idea. Like Uber for wedding photographers is, is a bad idea. It turns out Uber for valet parking was a bad idea. There's all kinds of like Uber for X ideas. Uber for home painters is probably a bad idea. And so could just flat out be a bad idea and you're trying to validate that. And what you're looking for is just enough evidence that you're on the right track. And for us, all the way like level 1 to level 10 you know just the first year we we didn't have any kind of user acquisition strategy but we passed out door hangers all over Nashville Tennessee where we live and we got a few hundred people to try the app and then we were just relentless about meeting with these people at the coffee table at the kitchen table at the coffee shop whatever and get the feedback to understand were we on the right track? Were we building something people that people wanted? Were we solving a problem we're solving? And if not, where we needed to course correct, and and what what were we doing wrong? And we we uh, we would meet with these folks, and like they would always be pissed off because the app didn't work like they would hire somebody and the guy didn't show up or they'd hire somebody and the guy would show up and he'd do a crappy job or they would list, they would get quotes and they would get like three quotes and they were all outrageously high or they would hire somebody and then he would leave the back gate open and the dog got out or they would hire somebody and they mowed it uh, right after a rain and they left grass clumps everywhere or like the mill. It goes on and on and on and on and on like, like 10,000 problems that happen between you needing a lawn mowing service and getting a great job done in your lawn. And so we were just inundated with all of this BS that that goes wrong in the in the in the life cycle of the transaction and and so you could take that as like demoralizing and like wow we're never going to solve all these problems this is a bad idea. But here's the thing we never heard. We never heard I don't need this. We never saw apathy. We never saw like the meh like they were pissed off. It didn't work. They were pissed off at the, at the idea of, I should just be able to push a button and get this chore done. Like it, the vision didn't, didn't fulfill itself. And, and so we took that as, as feedback that, okay, we need to keep going because we've got 10 people here that want to use this product. If we can just solve, we can't solve all 10,000 problems, but we can solve the hundred that occur every time and just make it better and better and better and get 10 to a hundred to a thousand to 10,000. So we, 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 just, we saw the, that people wanted it, people needed it, and we just kept focusing on the one problem, making it cheaper, faster, smoother, more reliable, more predictable.
2: I have two questions. Uh, the first is, how do you vet the, the landscapers? And the second is, how do you ensure that uh, GreenPal continues to get recurring revenue from the um, landscaper cutting that same lawn? If that makes sense, like how do you yeah. how do you maintain your position in but in the middle of that relationship?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So, the first piece is how do we know who's good, who's not? How do we, like because the barriers to entry in the lawn mowing business are pretty low. You just need about five hundred, maybe a thousand dollars in equipment, and you are in business. So, and that's one reason why it sucks for homeowners because it's like the wild west of contractors most of whom just flat out aren't very good or reliable. And the thing is, it's not their fault. Nobody teaches us how to run a small business. Nobody teaches us in high school. Nobody teaches us in college. So, so these people are out here just trying to figure it out as they go, and they're bumping up against customers, and, and it's bad experiences everywhere. So it's our platform's job to modulate that and make that seamless. And so how do we do that? Well, the first thing we do is, is when v- vendors come onto the platform and apply, there is a basic minimal threshold that they have to hit. Uh, they have to have the right equipment. They have to have a couple of customer recommendations. They have to have, a, they have to pass an identity check, all these things. So right there, you know, we've, we've screened out a lot of the bad actors just with that first step, but that doesn't, you know, that's not enough to, to really create a gap between the real world analog experience and, and the green pot experience. After that, we then measure them ruthlessly and rigorously on their performance. So, how often do they show up on time is, is a basic metric that we call the reliability rating. And, and it's a basic metric that, that helps us understand as a platform and helps homeowners understand if I hire you for Thursday, what is the probability that you'll be there on Thursday? Because like, believe it or not, like the biggest part of a value proposition is will this guy show up on the day he's supposed to, and just do a good job. That's it. Like, I mean, it's, it's, and it's like really hard to make that happen for some reason. And, and I know why, I mean, it's like life as a lawn guy is really hard. There's a million things that go wrong every day. You know, your equipment breaks down, you, you know, you, it rained, you got too much work, your help didn't show up. So it, it, it there, it, there are reasons why, but we have to suss out the, the reliable contractors versus the unreliable ones. And so we measure how often they show up on the days they're supposed to. And then we showcase that to homeowners so then they can make a better informed decision. Like, yeah, this guy shows up 98% of the time. I'm hiring him. This guy shows up 17% of the time, not hiring him. Actually, 17% would get you deplatformed. And so and so, what we do is we, we, we promote the reliable contractors and we demote and expel the unreliable contractors. Another, another dimension that we score these guys on is an ongoing rating. How often do they get booked for a second, third, and fourth visit? And that is an indication of quality. Was the, was the homeowner happy with their services enough to book them for for subsequent visits? If they were, that's an indication that, that they're, they're, they did a good job. They showed up when they were supposed to. They called ahead of time. They made sure everything was done right. They blew off the back patio and so on. All of those million little things that, that separate a good contractor from a bad contractor can really be signaled and did they get booked for the rest of the lawn mowing season or not. And so the, the the ones that get booked all the time, we surface. The ones that don't, we demote or deplatform. And then the th- one third dimension is just your standard rating system, one through five stars. Everybody is accustomed to that. If you're getting bad qualitative feedback from your clientele on GreenPAL, uh, you get promoted or demoted or expelled. So that's how we know who's good, who's not. And that's how when a homeowner shows up, they they Im- immediately get this, this Delta between the normal way of doing it, like calling around, leaving a bunch of voicemails, hiring somebody, maybe they show up, maybe they don't versus green Pal, You just push a button and they actually show up and you pay them right through the app and then push another button. And they show up every week after that for the rest of the season. And then the second part of the question is, is was uh, around platform disintermediation. How do you, how do you uh, stay with the recurring revenue along with the transactions that occur naturally throughout, throughout a season. And if you're running a marketplace like this and you're seeing that happen a lot, then it's an indication that you're not adding enough value. If people would rather go back and do it the old way, then that means you're either taking too much of the transaction, like your take rate is too high, or you're just not adding enough value. And so we don't see that. Often at all, like at maybe less than two or 3%. And that's with contractors that aren't a good fit for the platform. But like if you're a a one man show, uh, or a part-time, like a saw like lumbling like is your side hustle. GreenPal is the operating system in which you run your entire business. It's a CRM where you have all your customers. It's the one place that, that feeds you like 10 free leads a day. It gets you paid within 24 hours. Whereas normally you'd have to wait a month. It has marketing automation built in. So it gets you booked over and over and over again. It helps you upsell other services like shrubs and mulch and seed and gutter cleaning. So it's like one OS for everything. And it's our job to produce and deliver like 10 times more value than we take out of that, that transaction.
2: Yeah, that's incredible. I didn't didn't realize the, um, the business part of it. Like, does it do accounting as well? I mean, I'm sure it does. It probably produced tax documents and all of those things, like just like an Uber driver
0: integrates with, with all, with all of the, all of the uh, accounting software out there. So it's one OS to run your entire business Mm -hmm. end to end. And we're set up for more the solo operator, or maybe they have one helper or one part-time helper that's who we really want to help get into the business and thrive in the business. Your bigger companies, like what I had, you know, they already have their, their systems. They already have the way they do things. They don't want one more, one more thing. But if you're just getting in the business or you're mowing 20 yards and you're tired of waiting like 60 days for your money and getting stiffed on, on work that you're doing, which is, happens a lot in this industry. GreenPal is, is, is a solution to solve all those headaches.
1: Let's ask uh, I want to ask about some of the marketing questions now, because I know you've had a, that's been its own journey as well, right? The operational challenges of getting successful yards is its own set of problems. What about kind of just getting a ton of um, in both sides of the marketplace, right? So what's been your most effective channel for having reaching long care providers, like the contractors to get them to sign up? So you have that side of the marketplace, then what's been the most effective demand generation for having people know about you as a solution to their, you know, I can't find anyone reliable to do my yard. If you found both sides of those marketplaces most effectively,
0: it's a good question. Uh, there's a saying that first-time founders worry about product, and second-time founders worry about distribution. So, so first-time founders are like obsessed with the product. You know, the design of the product. How is it going to solve people's problems? And you know, how is it you know crafted and laid out? And that's important. And then they think, okay, I'm just going to obsess over the product, and then and then everything else will take care of itself second time founders like know all that has to happen and know that's important, but they obsess over distribution because the second time founders, like the last thing I want to do is dedicate a decade of my life to this idea. If I don't have some sort of distribution hook and if I don't have some sort of way for this thing to grow on its own, if there's not some sort of network effects or some sort of distribution strategy, uh, that we can innovate on, I don't give a shit about how good the product is. Um, If I don't have that, because the last thing I want to do is go through that again. (laughs) So that's the way a second, second time founder looks at a new idea. And in the, in the first time founder is like, dude, why are you being so uh, pessimist on my idea? It's like, yeah, it's a great idea, but if we can't figure out a way to get people to use it, then it doesn't matter. And, and, and like throwing a bunch of, uh, of acronyms at, at the, at, at that part of the business model, isn't the idea, isn't the answer. Like SEM, PPC, social media marketing, SMM, uh, CRO, like all these acronyms. Oh yeah. Got it. No, that's not, that's not how it works. You have to, you have to innovate on, on distribution. You have to innovate on ways that you're going to get people to find out about the product, try the product, use the product and keep using the product. And so for us, it took us a long time to figure that out. And, the way we uh, kind of cracked the nut was we just focused on one channel. We were like, we're just going to focus. We're going we're to test all these channels, uh, you know, Facebook ads, Google ads, Twitter ads, Pinterest ads, Instagram ads, Google SEO, print, billboards, TV, radio, everything. We tested everything. And the only thing that showed any promise of delivering some sort of ROI was just flat out Google organic search, people looking for lawn mowing services, looking for landscape contractors. You get 12 results on a page. We need to be one of those results nationwide, every city and town in America. And we, we focused on that as a strategy, and we kind of bet the company on it. It took about two or three years to get some momentum going in in that channel, but now we're, we're, we're pretty good at it. And we're, uh, you know, anywhere you live in the United States, if you lawn mowing service, Lincoln, Nebraska – we pop up as one of the options for a consumer to consider to solve this problem. And it works really well for us. For contractors, in the early days, we had to have some sort of strategy in terms of uh, outbound. We would do cold calls off of Craigslist, cold calls off of Yelp, off of Facebook. Um, But nowadays, uh, we are demand-side constrained. Supply-side is beating our door down wanting to be on the platform. We have a waiting list in most cities. So, so we don't have to do much on the supply side
1: It's mainly the demand side, because that's the harder part of the, uh, equation. So what were some of the more effective, uh, obviously it's somewhat of a black box, somewhat of a, not of a black box. You know, what did you do that made Google all of a sudden, you know, treat you well, but what if the things you can point to that worked well for increasing the chances of you appearing on that first page for those key competitive searches?
0: Yeah, when it comes to SEO, there, there is no like all of a sudden or quick like hack or quick thing. Um, it's almost like dieting, you know, I, like it's very much an exercise of faith. And, you know, you go to the gym. Uh, you, let's say you went to the gym and lifted th- today. And then tomorrow morning, you like you looking at the mirror, and you're like, I don't look any different. <laughs> but you still go back to the gym. And let's say, you, so you, if you go to the gym every day for like three months, then you start to notice some difference uh seo is a lot like that um it's very much a a exercise of faith it's also one like a game in which you need to focus and like and build from the bottom up and so our strategy was when we first started you know we couldn't rank for terms like landscaping contractor chicago lawn mowing service atlanta grass cutting service miami like those were out of reach for us because we didn't have the the domain authority, we didn't have the the content, we didn't have everything that that goes into um, playing the game. It took time to build that stuff up. But what we could do is is we could go after the long tail stuff. So take for example Atlanta, we would we would like write great content around lawn mowing services, Alpharetta, Georgia which is a suburb of of Atlanta with like 20, I don't know, 40,000 people. So we didn't go after the metro with with 3 million people. We went after the suburb with 50,000, and guess what? We could rank for that. And so we would do that from the bottom up in the cities that we were operating in and then slowly to build, build the traffic, the signals to Google, the links, the press mentions, the supplier base, and so on and then slowly be able to work our way into the more competitive stuff so when it comes to to seo it's it can help you to to, to build from the bottom up compete where you can compete and just have a long 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 term vision and not necessarily be patient because a lot of times patience just means sitting around uh, like you be diligent and consistent and patient
1: could you write a pretty similar article oh, like for a, uh this is like a very i guess detailed question but like could you write of the same like did you have to write a really unique article for also like sandy springs marietta like and all that or
0: every what? one of them has to be handcrafted handcrafted hand curated handmade that was our strategy now now back in the day you could scale all this stuff you could just run a script and pop up a landing page with some scraped data um a company that was really good at that was thumbtack uh they 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 blew up and like 2012 to 2016 because they got tens of millions of visitors off of this strategy of just scraping content and throwing up thousands of landing pages but that doesn't work anymore mainly because of guys like me that are just doing better at certain verticals and so they got picked off you know, there's a better solution for dog walking. There's a better solution for pressure washing. There's a better solution for lawn care. And so these, these vertical platforms like ours just focused on those use cases. And so your horizontal platforms like Home Advisor, Yelp, Angie's List, Thumbtack, don't necessarily have the best solution, don't necessarily have the best content because they can't focus on that use case. Um, so, yeah, it, at a time, that, that, that automated approach did work, but it does not anymore. So don't waste your time trying to pursue
2: that strategy. As um, GreenPal scales, is the plan to move beyond lawns and into things like uh, pressure washing and other home services or commercial services? And also, another question that I have is: w- what kind of income are like say the top ten percent of GreenPal contractors making per year?
0: It's a great question. So we uh, have, at times have struggled with this debate of: do we continue to go deep or do we go wide? And for us, we have focused on one chore, your routine yard maintenance. How do we make that cheaper, more reliable, more predictable? And it's like a $90 billion industry yeah. <laughs> and, and we're doing like 30 million in revenue. So we're basically like a drop in the bucket. And so we haven't reached any sort of point of diminishing mm-hmm. returns on this on this one use case. So we're, just, we're gonna continue to go down on this one vertical until we just can't go any further. We think that's a better strategy uh, than trying to move into other other use cases because like every business has a million problems, but they're all different. The pool guy, the pest control guy, the roofing contractor, the home painter, the lawn care guy—they all have the plumber. They all have different problems. There's different scheduling problems, different nuances around around uh, pricing and quoting and warranty and and, and, like, the plumber has to be there at 10 o'clock. The lawn care guy, you know, Monday or Tuesday is fine. So, it's like, you can't build one platform to solve all of these nuanced problems. And so that's why we focus on, on just Makes this sense. one use case. Because there's just so much more white space. And then we can also, you know, we're going to move into Canada, UK, and Australia also. So it's better for us just to say the best in the world at this one thing. I think you have to be the best in the world at what you're doing or the best in your market. You know, even if you have a coffee shop you have to have the best coffee and bagels or muffins or whatever in that like quarter mile radius Mm -hmm. in order to make it or else you won't so you have to be the best in the best in the world or best in your market at whatever the hell it is you're doing and so for us that's, that's lawn mowing with respect to what our contractors earn we have several contractors earning over a million a year on the platform we have we have a big percentage of like over half of the contractors that use our platform actively make over six figures and so that's wow. our goal is to get you from ten grand a year to to six figures a year and beyond material income working on the platform and making more money with less headache is why I get out of bed in the morning. Is is because I've been there. I you know, I, I understand that how challenging it is to run a business in this industry and, and that's who we're trying to solve for. If we can make that that guy or gal happy, make their life easier, then everything else takes care of itself then homeowners can can hire these folks off the shelf with with an app if if they're if they're locked in if they're if they're on the
1: platform that, that's why you also have a waiting list right that uh that answers the previous question from a that's few right. a few minutes ago pretty well that's right
0: and we could probably skin skin the you know we could probably raise our fees but i think like, one of my favorite books is is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey. And in that book, he talks about this restaurant that had this clam chowder, and it was the best best clam chowder in town. And, and uh, the new owners bought the restaurant. And the first thing they did to increase profits was they watered down the chowder. And profits soared through the roof for, like, three months, and then the restaurant went out of business. And so it's like that's kind of the way we look at it. It's like the, the golden goose, don't kill the golden goose, Think long-term, think long-term pro- partnerships with, with, with our suppliers, and the rest will take care of itself.
1: I think that's a great metaphor to keep top of mind. Uh, we're approaching time here, so I'll ask just one or two super quick questions to, to sign off. What are the books in your current rotation? You've clearly expressed it, you know interest in a ton of value from reading. So what's kind of on the plate? Recently, you're, you just finished it. You're in the middle of it right now. A couple more recent titles.
0: Yeah, one book uh I'm reading now is called The Cold Start Problem by Andrew Chen. It's a book about um creating a marketplace and that chicken and egg problem and how you kick that off and how and how you get over that cold start and he talks about all of these other multi-sided marketplaces and how they did it. Like for instance Tinder. I didn't know this, but like Tinder I mean literally like they got over the cold start is they would they would sponsor fraternity parties. I think it was in uh, uh university of southern california and to get into the party you had to download the app Hmm. and so that was a very like focused small network on a small scale not a scalable strategy but that's how they got over the cold start and created a little network to then figure out the rest and so i think if you're starting a multi-sided marketplace you have to figure out how to how to get over that i do
1: work in marketing for a two-sided marketplace so
0: great book uh andrew chin was uh i think he's a vc now but he was on the growth team at uber for a long time super smart guy so that's 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 a i haven't finished it yet but it's an awesome book
2: i have two questions again sorry for all my uh, double questions but uh the first is about your philanthropy or or just the i guess missions work that you do where you you go to uh different countries with, with orphanages at least it's what i've gathered from your instagram And then number two, you know, I I like the way that you, you think about reading as block and tackling. It's like, you know, I've got this problem or this is where I'm at. So I'm going to find books that relate to me. So if you're a person just starting, you know, maybe just graduated college, what are like the five books that they have to read in order to, you know, be effective or or, or that you think they must read?
0: Yeah. So the first question, I, I think it's just good balance in your life and for your soul to, literally be uh, consistent and diligent with with setting aside time to give back. Uh, it doesn't matter even if you're at, at the early stages. I th- I think it's just it's just good to, good for developing your leadership style, good for developing your self-confidence. And so you know, either when I'm traveling or when I'm at, when I'm at home, I have a regimented plan in terms of how I'm going to give back at least five percent of my time in a, in a month in in terms of free mentoring or volunteer groups or things like that uh, one of my favorite things to do in, in nashville is i i volunteer for this group called achilles which is uh disabled athletes and so i i'm like a guide for for this guy who can't see and and we ran a ran a half marathon together we have plans to run a full marathon so that's a, i mean and, I, and, I, and so when i show up at this thing um, some days I'll be like in a pissed off mood because of something not working the way I want it to work. And then I show up there and I'm like, I'm just like filled with, with like just gratitude because of how good I got it. So that's, so it's really a kind of a selfish thing the the volunteer work and the giving thing is really kind of a selfish thing because of the way it kind of changes my outlook and keeps me, you know, optimistic and keeps me in, uh, in a, in a good mood almost. So that's why I do that. And I and I didn't cut I didn't key in on that. I'm forty two now. I didn't key in on that till probably thirty three. So I wish I had learned that earlier in life. Your second question, you know, block and tackling books, you know, you're working in the business, on the business, on yourself. Some some great early books that that I would recommend every entrepreneur read. I already mentioned Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey. That is a really good book on living an effective life. The E-Myth by Michael Gerber I've also mentioned. That's like the Holy Bible on on small business. Good to Great by Jim Collins is, is, is a classic in terms of how do you think about the flywheel effect at the core of your business uh so i really like that book and then you know i i also like i also like the four hour work week you know a lot of people conflate that book with only working four hours a week and that's not what that book is about that book is about processes it's about it's about delegation it's about systems it's about repeatability it's not about working four hours a week like that was not the original title of that book like tim ferris And this publisher came up with that sensational title, which is probably why we know it to this day as a marketing hook. And so that's a really good book. And in in the same vein of that book, like not one of the greatest books of all time, but like it's a really good tactical book on processes. It's called The Checklist Manifesto. Like, why do airplanes like take off and land, you know, 99.9% of the time with people behind the wheel? Well, it's because these guys are following a checklist, you know, and so. So those are, those are some good books, and the list goes on and on and on. Something I'm struggling with at this stage of the game is do I go find new books or do I read the same kind of quote-unquote classics over and over again? So I'm, I haven't figured that out, but sometimes I wonder if I should go and pick up, like, the new book by Andrew Chen and read it. I mean, it's a great book. Or should if I should reread Seven Habits. So I don't know the answer to that yet, but I would just, like, I would just, like, submit that to your listeners as something to consider maybe maybe read the same ones over and over again that are core to your philosophies and strategies
1: well i think that's good advice and yeah that's not something you know i figured out either because you read a book and it's so good and you're like i'm wasting my time doing anything other than cementing these ideas and then you read a new book and it gives you new ideas that are also really helpful and you're like well i'm not wasting my time by doing anything other than this <laughs> though i know that's a good use of my time and this maybe it's I, I don't think uh we'd be asking a lot of you to, to guess the answer to that question the optimal the optimally and such that question. I don't
0: know I don't know at, at least at least it's just something for all of us to ponder
1: absolutely <laughs> uh well I think we're right about where we want to be on time and we appreciate this a ton uh what are some calls to action for people in terms of you know following you and your your personal brand on social media your company's brand is post some great memes over doing your Instagram does a great job of uh making grass interesting and funny and worth a follow so where would you like to send anyone who wants to be sent somewhere
0: yeah so anybody uh that doesn't want to waste time mowing your own yard, just download green pal in the play store or the uh, app store. And anybody who wants to hit me up on Instagram, just follow me at Brian M Clayton.
1: You can shoot me a DM there. I'll hit you back. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Kyle Lewis. I appreciate it. Thank you guys. That wraps up this conversation with Brian from your green pal. Three quick takeaways from me. First of all, you know, a lot of people that listen to podcasts read a lot of books. And I think one of Brian's best pieces of advice is, is finding books for the specific problem in front of you rather than just what's generally useful. So he's been building a two-sided marketplace at a specific revenue number, trying to get to a specific revenue number that's larger than the first one. And so he's choosing books that are written by authors who've taken a company from, you know, 25 million to 50 or whatever the specific targets are. And specifically he talked about the book from Andrew Chen about scaling a two-sided marketplace, which is probably more useful to him than just a general book about marketing. I think I really liked the distinction from his first business. Uh, It wasn't a lawn care service. It was a sales organization. I think that's a really interesting... I just don't know. I'm always fascinated when people talk about their business, not with what you think it is, but with what it actually is, right? Their business wasn't limited by how good they cut grass. It was limited by how effective he and his team could find people willing to bring them to the grass. Uh, And then if that makes sense, I think that makes sense. Third takeaway is how his app is probably taking off and has this massive wait list of people wanting to be providers on the platform because he's simply helping them do better than they would do on their own. So that's how you get the referral network. And that's how it's growing like crazy, which again, is the key thing for this business is having a huge network of people who would do on-demand long keeping with excellent quality. We had an episode, I believe it was number 69 with Joe Weeby from Australia. he talks about, you know, the best way to open doors for yourself is to open doors for others And I think that's really been the secret of the success of your green pal is he's helping all of these other people win, all of the providers on his platform. And in doing so, that's what's helping him win, uh, which is a really cool cycle. That's all I have to say for this episode with Brian. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to say, Hey, or make any suggestions or share any feedback or thoughts with myself or Kyle should be pretty easy to do. We uh, are not terribly difficult to get inside of our inboxes from the internet. Look up Lewis or Kyle on the internet. There's probably more instructions in the show notes. If you want to find us, you can, I guarantee it. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed so you know about the next episode, which should be in a week or two. That's kind of the cadence we've had lately. And if you're interested in having a portable second monitor so you can work with more screen space anywhere you go, look at Espresso Displays. They're a sponsor. They're pretty cool. And there's a link in the description. That's it for me. See you next time. Bye-bye.